1: Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Anna and I'm here with my two friends, Will and Ant. Hello. Hi. This week we are talking about the year 1102. Um, One of the greats, I say that every time one of these days we're going to get one of the first few years
0: in the 1100s one of the first
1: few years of the 12th century i think uh i'll i'll be the controversial one and say that uh could we get our three word previews of what mm-hmm. we're each talking about um will i'll start with you
2: king's sulky son king's
1: oh. sulky son that's a possessive king correct okay good <laughs> Ant?
0: Heavy, heavy horses.
1: Heavy, heavy horses. Yeah. Is that like Hungry, Hungry Hippos? It is
0: exactly like Hungry, <laughs> Hungry Hippos, but they're heavy, heavy.
1: Okay. Uh, my three words are Lord Battle Master or Lord Battle Master.
0: That's pretty good. That's yeah. amazing.
1: Or Battle Lord Master. It, any, anyway, it works. <laughs> um, and before we dive in, I have, uh, it's not really a correction, but it is a follow-up um, oh. because I was very curious Last week, when you talked about the, well, you talked about the Battle of Brunabur, at one point you mentioned Dingsmere.
2: Yes, at, I did. And
1: there was no, nobody knew what Dingsmere was. We did not. So I've looked it up.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, no one does really know. <laughs> Great follow-up. Yeah, <laughs> and a follow-up. No, but this tickled me. So, as Dingsmere does not correspond to any known place name, its meaning has caused considerable controversy. Apart from Sea of Ding, suggestions, suggestions have included Dingy Sea, Sea of Noise, and Wetland of the Thing.
0: <laughs> wetland of the Thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Of the Thing. Of the Thing. The thing, thing is the Norse word for an assembly or some sort of Scandinavian uh, language, okay. Danish maybe, okay. for an assembly. So wet. Not like
2: a disembodied hand. No,
1: exactly. But I do like to think that after they lost this battle, they had to sail across the wetland of the thing. Yeah, that's
2: good. <laughs> we have absolutely no further clarity than we did last week. <laughs> have we
1: gotten further away from it? Probably. Not my job here is done. Today I'm back in my favourite period of history, Moorish Spain. Yay. So things are about to pop off. Um, (laughs) I'm going to take the... You just
0: can't get enough of it, can you?
1: I cannot get enough of it. You might say
0: it's a bit Moorish.
1: Oh, nice. It's very good. (laughs) Excellent. When I first moved to your sidebar, maybe we cut all this out, Moorish, M-O-R-E-I-S-H, is not a word that exists in English. Uh, in American English, sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I kept seeing it in relation to food. And I was like, are these people so stupid that they're just spelling Moorish wrong? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and you
0: it, thought that like, <laughs> you know, Cadbury's cream eggs yeah. were from <laughs>
1: <Yeah. 'Cause>, like, <laughs> an I think the, Arabic the empire somewhere. The first thing I saw it on was like a pot of hummus. I was like, okay, I
0: guess. <laughs> <And> I <was laughs> it's weird. kind of Moorish. Yeah, it's Moorish <laughs> and Moorish.
1: Anyway, uh, I'm not talking about hummus today uh, f- as a first I'm going to take the unusual step of talking about someone who was already dead by 11.02. But there is a reason I'm talking about him. And also, he's just too interesting and important not to talk about. So I couldn't take the risk of waiting for the year 1099 to come up. So we're going to cover him today. And he's a man named Rodrigo Diaz de Vivar, better known as...
0: El Cid El
1: Cid Oh, oh I'm
0: so th- This has been my favourite movie of all time
1: Oh I haven't seen it
0: It is so good Is it? Really? It is, yeah genuinely, It's like
1: Charlton Heston Yes
0: So good okay. It is about
2: seven hours long <laughs> <laughs> But it's great Well
1: good because so is my bit today Can I clarify So um,
2: he, he this is a man who died in 1099 Yeah and we're covering. Sorry, just okay. Sorry, I, I'm a bit confused. So, we're covering the year 1102, of course. Yeah, which is a, which famously. is which is three years later.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: Good. Sounds good. <laughs> Carry
1: on. You will. All your doubts will have been erased by the end of the, my section. Okay. Great. Probably. Uh. Okay. So El Cid, Ants heard of him. Will have you heard of him? Nope. Okay. Great. Uh, He was quite a famous knight in medieval Spain. He's still celebrated as a Spanish folk hero and national icon. But interestingly, he exists in this time of transition for the Iberian Peninsula. So the Caliphate of Córdoba falls in 1031, and Muslim Spain fractures into a bunch of kingdoms called Taifas. They're basically smaller, independent principalities, but without any overarching ruler. But Christian Spain was also not united, and it had different states like Castile and Aragon, and I literally wrote in my notes in all caps, NOT ARAGORN. (laughs) Um, uh, So those states were perpetually vying for supremacy and at various points attempting to unite and that sort of thing. So basically, if you're a sword for hire, this is a fantastic time for you.
0: I would have done so well. You would have done no so No one's well. hiring my sword right now. It's been a dry <laughs> yeah. season for Ant's yeah. sword. I
1: think your sword is on a few blacklists, actually.
0: <laughs> I'm talking about a literal sword. This is not... <laughs> We're not talking about my penis.
1: Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs>
0: okay. But that is also coincidentally for hire.
1: I have seen your sword. <laughs> Your, you have. Your literal you have. sword. You have seen yeah, my have. sword. Anyway, <laughs> uh, El Cid was also a sword. He was born into minor nobility in Castile in around 1043, and he was in the service of the Prince of Castile, Sancho II. And when Sancho becomes king, El Cid is put in charge of the Castilian army, and he leads some campaigns against Sancho's brothers, Alfonso and Garcia, who are ruling other provinces in Christian Spain because Sancho wanted to consolidate their kingdoms. So El Cid starts gaining renown as a great fighter, and they do expand the territory. However, in 1072, King Sancho assassinated. Mm. No one knows who did it, which means, of course, (laughs) it was one of his brothers. Probably. Um, And probably his brother Alfonso, who El Cid had helped depose from his own throne a few years earlier. But since Sancho had no kids, Alfonso ascends to the throne of this expanded kingdom. So basically, El Cid is now in the service of a king he actively fought against, which is frowned upon. (laughs) <laughs> um
0: it makes so, sense that alfonso took the throne though, yeah totally he, he was he, the coolest one
1: he was definitely the. he was yeah. <laughs> he had the leather jacket <laughs> he did you, hey. he, he always like banged up against uh, medieval jukeboxes yes yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah which yeah. were just like boxes that had little um loot players inside <laughs> of them um so alfonso is in charge
2: oh it's a happy days reference yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we're making jokes relevant 20 years ago, so could you please keep up? 20? Mate! <laughs> uh,
1: 20 years ago was 2003. I hate to break it to you. Fuck! <laughs> um, yep, so <clears throat> we're all very old, but not as old as El Cid. Uh, El Cid loses his rank, and eventually in 1081, Alfonso exiles him from the kingdom. So he basically becomes a traveling mercenary, and he goes to Zaragoza, which was in Muslim hands at the time. And according to one chronicle, they found him, quote, thirsty and exiled. <laughs> Um, Uh Unclear to me what sense of thirsty they (laughs) meant. But uh, regardless, they slake his thirst by giving him the opportunity to fight and he fights for Zaragoza against Christian kingdoms like Aragon as well as against other Muslim Taifa states. So, speaking of being thirsty, Will, this part is just for you.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Elcid apparently loved reading books by Roman and Greek military strategists.
2: Normal. Presumably Nerd. just
1: Thucydides day in, day out. Um, he ordered that the books be read aloud to his troops before battle. He was also a big fan of psyops and he would use unexpected strategies to terrorize his enemies before he attacked them. I like this guy. (laughs) I knew you would. What kind of
0: unexpected things? It's
1: unclear. Oh,
0: it's unclear. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, It was like a... I didn't, um, I didn't dig into El Cid's psyops, but I probably should have because I they were probably interesting. But also, it was the 12th century, uh, the 11th century at this point. So just like hiding behind a boulder. Yeah, they
0: weren't exactly <laughs> doing like like Russian troll farms <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they weren't like dank yeah.
0: memes. <laughs> aimed to overthrow the.
1: <laughs> there were a lot of dank memes, but they were just primitive in nature. Uh, And one note on his nickname, el Cid probably comes from the Arabic word Sayyid, meaning Lord. And so El-Sayyid or As-Sayyid, meaning the Lord, which was a title given to other Christian leaders at the time. But there's no evidence to suggest that he was actually called that during his life. And the first time it appears is in one of these epic poems that's written about him about 50 years after his death. But while he was alive, he did definitely have the title Campeador, which means master of the battlefield, which I think is that's cool. It's pretty really cool. It is very cool. I, yeah.
0: I, I just thought it meant the
1: Cid. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you got half the translation yeah. right. I mean, oh, so really <laughs> yeah, the That's really good. Yeah. Um, no, El Cid, the Lord Campeador. Anyway, in 1086. This group called the Almoravids come up from North Africa, and they're um, people of Berber descent, and they're on a mission to reunite the Muslim Taifas and take control of the whole peninsula. King Alfonso, up in Castile and Leon, recognizes this threat and realizes he needs El Cid back, so he recalls him to his service. But El Cid has gotten a taste for power and independence, and he wants more than to just command mm. dude's armies. He wants the Christian and Muslim armies to fight each other and then weaken them both while he can just kick it and do his own thing. He wants to be in control of the Taifa of Valencia. Can't blame him. Beautiful city.
0: Beautiful place. Mm.
1: And gradually... Great oranges. Great oranges. He he really loves oranges,
0: <laughs> like, probably. He, he does strike me as a marmalade man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the subtitle of the movie, right? El Cid, the El Cid. Marmalade Man?
0: That's it. By Heston.
1: Gradually, he does gain control of Valencia, uh, nominally as a vassal of King Alfonso, but really he's ruling it independently. And he rules it as a very pluralistic society and was apparently supported by Christians and Muslims alike, which we love. Uh, he rules Valencia for about five years defending it against the Almoravids, but then in 1099, he dies. His wife, Jimena, takes over after his death. But in 1102, Uh (laughs) she is forced to surrender Valencia to the Almoravids, who have been besieging the city, Uh, on their quest to reunite the Muslim kingdoms. And there's a great legend that during this siege in 1102, Ximena orders El Cid's corpse to be fitted with armor and set upon his horse to boost the morale of his troops.
0: (laughs) That is not going (laughs) to boost my morale. If I see the corpse of my beloved leader in armor.
1: Yeah. On his living horse. Does that change anything? (laughs)
2: over a a horse. (laughs) But also, it's been three years i mean like
1: indeed it has been three years wow yeah. oh. but in some versions of the story El Cid actually wins a charge against the almoravids despite having been famously dead for three years <laughs> do we
2: think that's probable
1: <laughs> i think it's likely i don't think
0: that he participated that much in it i'm gonna say <laughs> yeah
1: well he was the you know the imagine being head. the guy
0: in command of that actual tactical action <laughs> and then this fucking dead guy in a
2: horse takes all the credit afterwards
1: <laughs> imagine being in control of that horse yeah, like yeah. How You you know it's a lot of slumping, a lot of. If that
2: happened, that is seventy percent down to the horse.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was a great horse. So this is El Cid's beloved war horse named Babieca, which means stupid. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's a great name for a horse. (laughs)
1: It's a great name for a horse. There are a lot of theories about how the horse got that name, but my favorite is that El Cid's godfather was gifting El Cid a horse. And El Cid picked one that his godfather thought was a weak choice, so the godfather just yelled "Babieca." Um, but <laughs> by all accounts, Babieca was a great horse. Yeah, going so far as to let his dead rider command and win a charge. Brilliant.
0: Excellent yeah. tactical acumen.
1: Yeah, exactly. Very tactically acumenical horse. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why I chose to talk about this because 1102 is when this kingdom fell. But I wanted to give all that context of El Cid, El Cid, because he's just. He's just a very cool, romanticized, but really actually important figure that had the skill and the valor to back it up. Um, I have two very brief things to say as well. He had two famous swords named Tizona and Colada, not Pina. Uh, There is a legend that after El Cid died, a lot of legends about what happened to him after he died. So there is a legend that after he died, he was seated in full armor in a monastery church, a little easier than seating him on the horse. After about
0: being ragged about by a horse, <laughs> this guy was just like
1: know. they just wouldn't let him rest. That's a
0: lot of duct tape. It's to a keep lot that together. of duct
1: tape. But as he was propped up in this church, a man came by to pluck a hair from his beard. But Tizona, the sword, struck the man down. So no, not- n-
2: none of this happened. <laughs> I mean, come on, none, none of this happened. Let <laughs> her finish. We don't know. It's, it's entirely possible. Yeah,
1: what if the sword were? connected on a string to his yeah, beard yeah, yeah. like a little sort of damocles like a little trap like a, yeah like, like a like little a, trap and when the guy plucks this the beard it releases the sword with like home alone style da- yes mm. exactly can yeah. you allow that that was possible
2: i mean it's that is physically possible and it definitely didn't happen
1: <laughs> <laughs> well anyway i would love to have a sword that's faithful to me after my death but i'm still working on it um <laughs>
0: my sword is for her <laughs>
1: <laughs> no comment uh, of course as aunt mentioned El Cid has inspired lots and lots of works of art over the ages including the movie with Charlton Heston uh, but also did you know El Cid was described to inspire Fernie about his Spanish heritage in The Legend of Ralu episode 16 of season 1 of Jakers The Adventures of Pigly Winks <laughs> I, don't,
2: I don't know I, any yeah, but, I don't understand any of that 80% of those words I just don't know <laughs> Pigglywinks.
1: I know. I had to read that sentence so many times. And I was like, I don't know what any of this means, but I really would like to say it out loud on a podcast. So,
0: two suggestions watch Piggly Winks yep or El Cid.
1: Yeah. And if you're going to watch Pigglywinks, specifically watch episode 16 of season one, The Legend of Ralu.
0: The Legend of Ralu. Amazing.
1: And that is The Tale of El Cid.
0: Thank you.
2: Uh, Now, at least in the UK and in Western Europe, people uh, learn a little bit about William the Conqueror. Mm. But what many people don't realise is that when William was fighting the Battle of Hastings in Uh 1066, at home he had a sulky teenage son called Robert. So think Seth Green's character, (laughs) (laughs) Scott Evil, in the Austin Powers movies. Which
1: is a documentary made about this. that's correct yeah okay, yes, exactly
2: based on yeah. this character this person Robert so today I'm going to talk about the sulky son of the conquering kings okay. a guy called Robert Curthose or Robert II of Normandy Seth Green or, or Seth Green's, or Green's or character Scott evil. or Scott Evil yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Robert was the the son of William of course and his wife Matilda of Flanders and she comes up a bit later so he was born sometime between 1051 and 1053 and as a child he was betrothed to Margaret, the heiress of Maine, with whom he had a really high level of compatibility, and who was worth five thousand gold pieces a year, but tragically she died before they could be wed. Oh, that's and- so
0: sad for them financially,
2: <laughs> and probably emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, he didn't marry at all until his late forties, which was quite rare at the time for mm. nobility. Oh, so there's,
1: there's hope for me yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm on
2: track. I'm on track for that. <laughs> So in his youth, he was apparently very skillful in military exercises, oh. uh, but also, quote, prone to laziness and weakness of character, unquote. Oh. Uh, and it seems that all the other nobles around uh, him and the King of France then used those character flaws to kind of stir up trouble between Robert and his dad. Um, and then a big cause of his problems was that he was unsatisfied generally with his share of power between him and his brothers so he argued all the time constantly with his father and his brothers as a result of this and in 1077 Robert launched his first insurrection against his father Ah. uh, which started as a result of a prank played by his younger brothers oh, William god. and Henry who dumped a full chamber pot over his head. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh god. Oh, no. and Robert was so enraged yeah. that he started a brawl with his brothers. Classic prank that. And then their brother hit their father William the Conqueror had to physically inter- intercede and then stop them. From- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. fighting don't make me come over there and conquer you <laughs> i will but just generally you don't really think about william the conqueror like having no. all this complicated yeah. stuff no, go on afterwards right? yeah or <laughs> like
1: being the like patriarch of a sitcom with like yeah. all right. his you know you just picture him like weaving dude. a
0: big tapestry for the rest of his days that's it really that's
1: also the the chamber pot over the head is the 11th century equivalent of gling film on the toilet seat do we think <laughs> Did you guys do that one
2: nope no nope.
1: oh not barbaric Okay, well, I'll save my pranks for another day.
2: I think partly because I would then have to respond how Robert responds now. (laughs) <laughs> so, basically, feeling that his dignity was wounded by this whole thing, Robert was then even more angry when King William failed then to punish the brothers for doing the chamberpot chamber thing. So, the next day, and I and I really, really admire how quickly he escalates here, uh, Robert and his followers set out in, a, in an attempt to seize the castle of Rouen, <laughs> and the siege failed. But uh, when King William ordered their arrest, Robert then fled to Flanders to the court of his wow. uncle. So oh, wow. he That's went an from,
1: escalation. He went from
2: chamberpot... To try to seize a major castle, yeah.
1: Chamberpot to castle God. in twenty-four Way. hours. How old was he at this point?
2: He is like twenty-five. Okay, okay, so he's yeah. not
1: like twelve.
2: No, no, no. It's no. quite
1: juvenile then of his brothers bit, to yeah. Chamberpot. I mean, I Agreed. remember
0: back in the day when I used to try and seize castles when yeah. I was slighted.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when that girl turns you yeah. down. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take her castle. <laughs> <laughs> And um, at this point, he's basically in for a penny, in for a pound. So he starts plundering the county of Vexin, and it causes so much mayhem that his father, King William, had to then ally himself with King Philip of France to try and stop his son.
1: Wow! And
2: relations weren't helped again when William discovered that his wife, Matilda, was secretly sending Robert money Uh, to support him. That's (laughs) classic! So and then at a battle in 1079 Robert then unhorsed King William his father uh, in combat and succeeded in wounding him and And he only stopped his attack when he recognised his father's voice from inside the armour of uh, yeah, this yeah. otherwise uh, this, this knight that he just thought was just any old knight fighting and so King William was completely humiliated by this being unhorsed by his son
1: well as we've learned being unhorsed there's no greater indignity completely right except
2: for a chamber pot except for
1: a chamber pot over your head
2: And and he basically left Robert to it for a year and then the following year in 1080 they were slightly reconciled by the efforts of Matilda to try and bring them back together and that lasted for about another three years but then Matilda died at that point Mm. and so Robert again seems to have left court as soon as his mother died pretty much and then spent several years just travelling aimlessly around France and Germany and Flanders uh, and it was in this period that he was another wandering knight. Mm. Um, and uh, the, I mean, and, and really his only biggest big achievement during this time, if you can call it an achievement, was that he produced several illegitimate children. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> well, he really doesn't seem the type. He seems so responsible and measured. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then, in ten eighty seven, his father, King William, died of wounds from a riding accident. And uh, at the death, he report- at, the- at his father's death, he reportedly wanted to uh, disinherit Robert completely, mm. but was persuaded to divide the Norman uh, dominions between his two eldest sons. So Robert got the Duchy of Normandy, and William Rufus, the other son, became William II, King of England. Uh, and mm. then at that time of their father's death, the two brothers made an agreement to be each other's heir. To their, oh, okay. to their respective oh, okay. kingdoms okay. Uh, which lasted lasted uh, it only lasted a year yeah. and, and it only it lasted just that that limited amount of time because it took Robert that long to try to plot a rebellion with against his brother God. with the barons of England this guy and, and so that was the rebellion of 1088 which was then instigated by Robert and that then failed because Robert then never showed up for the battle <laughs>
1: I love this guy so much. He's, he's so terrible. incompetent. Yeah.
2: yeah, he's like so bitter and yeah. like rageful, but has, also yeah. quite incompetent. Yeah,
1: he's so much hatred in his heart, but like no follow through. <laughs> <No problem. laughs> exactly.
2: So without much idea of what to do next, in 1096, Robert did what any sensible noble of the time would do during their midlife Seize crisis. The
1: Go on crusade. Go on crusade. Ah. Yes, he raised an
2: army and joined the first crusade. And he was uh, forced to raise money for this crusade and for his efforts in it by mortgaging his duchy to his brother, William. Uh, so he had to mortgage the whole thing off <laughs> to get enough money for it. Um, and he had a decent amount of success, actually, on the crusade. So he went on to help to conquer Nicaea in 1097, and then was part of the force that uh, took Jerusalem in 1099. Mm. And he ended up leaving the Holy Land around September that year in 1099, and returned via Constantinople, and then to southern Italy, where he married a woman called Sibyl, who uh, helped him uh, by bringing with her a big dowry, which she nice. then used to buy Great. back his dushy from, yeah. his, nice. from his brother. Okay, all right. nice. Um And it was all going quite well, but then at that stage, uh, his brother William, who was currently King of England, uh, died while Robert was still on his way back from the Holy Land. Okay. And so the, the younger brother, so of, like
1: called home a bunch of times and he didn't answer. Right. Yeah.
2: And and then the the younger the other brother um, of the Chamberpot story yep. Henry was then able to use the moment to seize the crown wow. for himself.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: And uh and then eventually in 1105 Robert was being such a pain still in Normandy that Henry who's now on the throne in England uh then just had to invade Normandy to try and do something about him. Wow. <laughs> so These are lands his like father was ruling and that should have been completely, you know, on his side. Uh so then in 1106 Henry defeated Robert's army in Normandy um and took Normandy as a possession of the English crown. Which is still a claim that is recognized amongst all right thinking people. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert was imprisoned then at Devises Castle in Wiltshire. Finally. For twenty years. Oh uh, wow. And I kind of I, I I do respect Henry's resolve here of Finally, doing something yeah. about this yeah. dude. It's like, right, you're getting into a castle, you're going to stay there. So, twenty, he was twenty years in Devizes Castle, and then finally, and then he's moved to Cardiff, and then in 1134, he died in Cardiff Castle in his early 80s.
1: I mean, yeah, I was oh, going to wow. say, I feel like he's been causing shenanigans for a yeah. long time. Uh, yeah,
2: at least seven decades of active shenanigizing. He-, <laughs>
1: <laughs> he had so many opportunities to die, and he probably would have had he bothered to show up for any of right. his revenge
2: plans. <laughs> he's amazing so there you have it that's the sulky son of william the conqueror who i and i have to admit i quite like the guy I, despite all of that i, I mean he's got like some a style worm
0: tongue kind of sniveling yeah, kind of guy yeah. yeah
1: i thought maybe we were headed for a redemption arc with the crusade nope. and coming back and getting married no and it just and then dies in prison he's just still a little <laughs>
0: shit there are no happy endings in history as we, we, we come yeah. to understand I'm going to be talking about sort of crusade season, which effectively we're in the height of now in 1102. <laughs> in March 2023. In Ma- yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, in March 2023, it's the yeah. height of crusade season. I hope everyone's ready. They got their got, SPF and got all that their kind of yeah, stuff.
1: crusade body ready. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the first crusade took place from
1: 1096
0: to 1099, and this was instigated by the church who decided, hey, we kind of want to get the Holy Land back from Islamic rule. Uh, and this was kicked off in earnest by the Byzantines, who sort of, you know, took that mantle upon them as being the First, first Crusaders after Pope Urban II proclaimed it. Um, and this sort of instigated this romantic notion, idea mm. of taking back the Holy Land. And it was successful in large parts in the start where they established uh, the Kingdom of Jerusalem. So everyone wanted a piece of the action and... Uh, And you can sort of imagine from the point of view from the Islamic side, they're like, what the fuck are you guys doing? We just, like, we've been living here for centuries now. What are you doing? Um, So... Uh, 10, uh, 1002 uh, Jerusalem was in the hands of uh, Western Knights sorry 1102 sorry oh, in yeah, Western okay. Knights and they made this kingdom of Jerusalem and it was headed up by a chap called King Baldwin I mm-hmm. who was originally one of the lesser known Baldwins <laughs> <laughs> um, so originally a count from Edessa in modern day Southeast Turkey uh, he took the seat after crusading for quite some time he was in the original crusades and he's extremely successful tactically astute you know lots of cavalry all that kind of good stuff we think about crusades um, a lot
1: of white tunics oh, yeah with red crosses well that would
0: specifically be the templars and
1: the male chainmail ar- arms yeah mm, these are
0: more like multicolored spandex i think or <laughs> something like that you know they, they're all different oh, yeah. types yeah Baldwin
1: yeah. first the Lycra king
0: <laughs> The lycra like stereotype crusaders yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. oh i'm so sorry yeah, yeah. um however on the other hand the Fatimids were not at all happy about this. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that were cha- chased out of Jerusalem in the first place. And at the head of it was the Egyptian vizier. Great rank. I, I hope someday to be a vizier. Oh, yeah. Oh, Just Jafar vibes. One. Oh, amazing. To, to twirl my goatee. Hot. It'd be great. Um, so this Egyptian vizier called
1: Afla, Afdal,
2: Al-Afdal. Sorry, I'm still not clear what his name <laughs> is.
1: <laughs> How many al's was that?
2: One al, one aftal.
1: Al-Aftal.
2: Al-Aftal, yes.
0: Um, So the capture of Jerusalem prompted the Fatimid Caliphate to seek the restoration of their rule over the region. Uh, The struggle of control over Palestine between these two forces would give rise to a rather significant battle, which is what we're going to talk about today. But there's actually two battles here that happened one year apart. And it's the Battle of Ramla. The first one happened in 1101. Uh, in about May time. And in the preceding months, King Baldwin I had embarked in a series of raids, establishing his territory against the Fatimids. And he successfully captured territories and strongholds. And then in response, the Fatimid vizier, Al-Afdal, amassed a really large army, like pretty big, estimated around 20,000 soldiers, Mm. to march towards Jerusalem in an attempt to recapture the city. Uh, And... uh, uh, of, Ramla is sort of in the way so there's a good place for meeting these armies um, so in, uh, as the Fatimid forces approaches Baldwin I quickly assembled his army which was significantly smaller than the Fatimids, numbering about only about 1000 knights heavy cavalry heavy heavy horses and oh. uh, 1000 infantrymen
1: don't body shame the horses
0: like that <laughs> yeah the difference between heavy cavalry and light cavalry is just like they're just bigger guys <laughs> it's just <laughs> oats and squats or whatever yeah <laughs> oats
1: and squats
0: classic um So despite the numerical disadvantage, Baldwin decided to confront the enemy in open field and just charge at them, effectively. And he was kind of banking on their discipline and experience of his knights would compensate for the massive number difference between the two. And also the fact that they had heavy cavalry uh, to do most of the damage. And it worked. They managed to overcome the odds in spite of being totally encircled uh, because they broke through the line and then they were in amongst the Fatimids and just caused chaos there and they they all fled. And...
1: This was, in, this was the first battle, the first battle. in 1101.
0: And exactly. Okay. And so King Baldwin I and lo, uh, there was peace in the Middle East <laughs> <laughs> ever since then.
1: <laughs> for <laughs> oh, <nice>. a millennium since. <laughs> for, <laughs>
0: <sense. laughs> for one year. For one, um, okay. Well. So 1102, you're in question. We get to the second battle of Ramla. Okay. Which is, uh, you know, it, it, the aftermath of this, you know, the, there's a changing of the guard, effectively the Fatimid Caliphate. We're still determined to regain control over jerusalem and the territories there and they assembled a new army to challenge the crusaders uh this time they were uh al afdal was out and his son was in sharaf al malali Mm. so he was in command instead and they had managed to learn a lot of lessons uh from the previous one and king squats oats and squats they (laughs) they were on bulk season was (laughs) happening they were bulking big time yeah um So, King Baldwin, once again, mobilised his forces to meet the enemy near Ramla. And the Crusader army now, however, was smaller than it once been when it fought previously because some of the knights had returned to Europe. Reinforcements had not yet arrived. Uh, The Fatimid army, on the other hand, were really well prepared and they had really studied their defeat from previous and made them just a more formidable adversary. Yeah. So... How did it go? The Second Battle of Ramla began with both armies engaging in skirmishes, manoeuvres, testing each other's strength, that, you know, classic sort of early flirtations of war. Um, <laughs> With like
1: tug of war? Tug of arm war. Wrestling. There, was a,
0: there was like a hammer throwing contest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, shot put. It was kind of like a track and field day, you know, like school, yeah, school yeah. athletics. Yeah, spoon and egg yeah, yeah. race. Spoon and egg.
1: Pie eating contest.
0: Um, so after all that, uh, the Crusaders were once again confident in their victory, having got the experience in the previous year, launched a really bold attack, trying to punch through the lines. Um, and initially it looked pretty good. It looks like they had under control... But due to the fact that the Fatimans just were able to just engage in this battle of attrition and just wear them down, no matter what lines they broke through, there was yet another line to go mm. through. Um, the Fatimids also learned how to sort of counter the heavy cavalry um, because they started aggressively targeting them with archers, and then they armed the infantry in deep lines of infantry with long pikes and stuff mm. so that the cavalry couldn't flank and they couldn't charge the lines. And they also... Uh, it, they, they put their forces into smaller, light cavalry units. So the cavalry units, rather than being big blocks, they had very small forces and many pronged sort of skirmishing hit uh, raids into the lines. Um, so the end of all this, uh, Baldwin had to retreat. Mm. So his forces were dwindled down and a lot of his knights were killed or captured. Um, and then killed um, <laughs> but uh, he only made it out with a handful of them surviving so oh. had, to, had to go with his tail between his legs
1: strong hands yeah. to carry that many troops
0: and in the years following the second battle of Rambla uh, you know the crusaders and the Fatimid Caliphate you know there was continued struggle for dominance of the Holy Land uh, the Fatimids didn't quite make it into Jerusalem um, Is still like, you know wild west territory of things yeah. going back and forth but the kingdom of Jerusalem did survive and um, uh, and they held on to their territories, and they actually even expanded their influence in the area in many ways. Um, but with this persistent sort of threat from the Fatimids, and you know the the second Battle of Ramla really is kind of just shows just how kind of fraught this area was. That no matter how big your force was, or how much you took it for granted, you were just like one, yeah, one. Twenty thousand group of people away from being defeated. <laughs> uh, it's, as isn't we that are.
1: always the case? Yeah. Uh, every uh, every time I get so close, and then there's just twenty thousand people in my way. <laughs>
0: but uh, the the Kingdom of Jerusalem did last for two hundred years. Yeah. So it went on until twelve ninety one.
1: Oh wow. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah. right by the time when Robin Hood escaped and came back to England, or that's right. Yeah,
1: I remember that from King of Thieves, Robin Hood. <laughs> Men in tights. Men in
0: tights. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> but it's not always in um. It's not always in Christian hands. I don't think. No, think no, it's not. Eleven it eighty seven d- Saladin. And yes, stuff. exactly. Yeah. And
0: there is like it, there's peaks and troughs and stuff. Yeah. Like you know, what is the what do the, what what does that mean? The Kingdom of Jerusalem is a kind yeah. of sort of continuous, you know, integral sort of entity, really, yeah. rather than just like maybe some lines in a map that sort of do change right. rapidly all the time.
1: I'm waiting for you to make will the reference that I know you want to make.
2: I will not bring that film up again okay <laughs> it's well, it's good <laughs> Kingdom of Heaven yeah. <laughs> you've been
1: you've been oddly quiet I assume you've just been playing out your favourite scenes in your head
2: <laughs> Look, I know you think it's not one of the top three films <laughs> ever made I think
1: it's great I think it's great I just also do it's don't top think it's... three
0: it's Kingdom of Heaven El Cid and uh, what's that one Rattlers or whatever it was
1: P- Piggly Wings
0: Piggly Wings <laughs> top three uh, 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 uh,
2: uh, uh, is Eva Green in Piggly Wings
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think she is yeah
1: yeah yeah she's in that episode yeah
0: well there you go 1102 battle of, of ramla
1: amazing crusades truculent sons battle masters
0: 1102
1: oranges, oranges. <laughs> and piggly winks <laughs> right thanks for joining us that's everything you'd ever need to know about the year 1102
0: that's it uh so all that's left to do as is tradition will please light the incense set off the fireworks <laughs> get the searchlight that's got that thing that's shaped in the shape of a random number and, uh, <laughs> and please it's a put
1: fascinating up. piece of technology really that the searchlight changes
0: multimodal yeah i would say is one yeah. of those. um could you please uh put up the random number
2: generator and give us the next year I absolutely can. <laughs> and the searchlights are slotting into place. And in the sky above us, <laughs> I can see the, symbol. the symbols.
1: <laughs> we'll have to interpret them.
2: <laughs> and next week's year is 1917.
1: Aha. Ooh. Modern
2: era. Oh, what's going on? What
1: if, I mean, I know I joke and say one of the greats all the time, but 1917 is objectively. An incredibly important year in history. Dense. Dense. Rich. Dense with stuff.
2: Creamy. <laughs> Creamy and dense.
1: Like a, like a nutritious, active bacteria yogurt. The meh. Of history. <laughs> it's possible that I'm hungry. I think I'm hungry. I was just thinking <laughs>
0: that too. I'd I love a beef Great. Wellington. <laughs> I've, I've got really- a very specific specific urge for a beef wellington all right
1: we're gonna go eat beef wellington and (laughs) learn something about the year 1917
2: brilliant see you next week bye Bye.
1: toodles (laughs) planning for your next trip